Welcome back to Don't Tell the Babysitter Moms Dead, a podcast where I, Brittany Ashley, interview other members of the Dead Moms Club and then examine a piece of pop culture that depicts maternal loss. Before I get into this episode, I just wanted to express my gratitude for everyone who's reached out and who has said that hearing these stories has been helpful. It makes the work that much more worth it. And I also feel like it's helping me heal this part of myself. Even in just this week alone, I got a new therapist who's helping me work through my hashtag dead mom issues. I've been pretty resistant to believing that my mom passing away when I was six years old has had such a huge impact on my life and my behaviors. But however, as it turns out, it did. But on to this episode with my good friend Anna Marie Davidson. In all transparency, this episode feels more like a conversation between Anna Marie, myself, and a whole bottle of port that we finished rather than just a straightforward interview. Because I was friends with Anna Marie four years ago and her mom passed away, I felt pretty comfortable asking her questions about that time period specifically. Yeah, so I found out she had uh, breast cancer when I was 19. I mean, I can imagine that that's the hardest thing that anybody has to go through, short of like losing a parent. But then when it's, I'm getting a mastectomy, and then calling me on the day she decided not to, I, I, I went to her therapist. I was like, you, sh- you can do a natural thing after just take the cancer out of your body this was before like she even needed chemo or radiation and uh it would have been one thing if she's like i'm doing this naturally and then she stuck with it but she kept flip-flopping and it was so traumatic because i'm just like she's gonna die everybody did like can take onus over their own life and their own choices but for somebody And I expressed this to her. It's like, it's not just your life. It's my life because I'm your child. If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for me. And she would do these weird experimental things. She went to whatever. And then she finally decided to have it like two years later. And uh, she was getting it. And we were all excited and going to go to UCLA the next morning and da, 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 da. And then she like called me from Idaho. She just hopped on a plane to nowhere. And then after that, she said... I, if you want to have a relationship with me, you can't speak about this with me. So I went, okay, my mom's probably going to die. What the fuck do I do? And I didn't have an answer for that. Like, maybe a year and a half before she actually died, she called up the family and told us that a doctor had told her that she's in remission. And she's cancer-free. And it was the best day of my life. And I was so excited and so happy and, like, stunned because I felt like such a bitch. Because the the natural treatment had worked. Whatever voodoo she was... I'm not knocking natural medicine. I'm just saying. I didn't know what she was doing. She was very secretive. She'd go to these treatment centers and, and all these random places. It was like this weird feeling of like the most relieved in the world and then questioning everything that I thought about a year and a half later my aunt called me because my mom couldn't tell me my aunt called her to tell me my aunt called me and told her that it had spread to her lungs and then she just died and so it was like oh okay 
I spent all this time being really angry at her, but I knew I was going to lose her. So I did my best to like do pretend land. And then when I thought she was going to stay alive, like, I feel like I got robbed at that time, you know, because it was hard because I was so angry at her, but then I wanted her back more than anything. Describe life pre your mother passing away. I mean, I hated working at a restaurant. I thought that that was the reason that I wasn't doing more with my life. Um, I had kind of a fractured relationship with my mother, and we would have periods of being really close and then periods of not being close. And um, I knew what I wanted, but I had no purpose behind it, if that makes any sense. I had no... It's like, I wanted this thing, and I didn't know how to get there, but I definitely knew that I should, but didn't know what the steps were, and didn't really care to find out. It was much more easy to be like, well, it's because I work at this restaurant, and if I didn't, you know, serve right. drinks to these people, I'd be famous. Yeah, I also went, I also did the thing where I was like, I'm inspired to write. I'm going to write. And then when I wasn't inspired, it's like, well, I'm not inspired because, like, my life is so uninspiring right now, which is really naive. You were the first friend of mine that had lost their mom while I've been friends with them. Oh, that's really interesting. I felt like this thing that I had always kept down because I felt like it was a burden to talk to other people about. I felt like it was someone being like, we connect yeah. now more. I felt the same because at that time, I think I knew people who lost their parents, but like, you know, that I wasn't super close to or lost them a while ago. And I think that when you're in that situation, you feel so alone. And you having gone through that was like, oh, I have all these feelings and it's not a burden to, you know, like you actually understand. You're not like mildly inconvenient slash trying to be there but not knowing how slash oh my god my parents are gonna die one day which I feel like people think when you start talking about your dead parents yeah. they're like oh god what am I gonna do when my mom dies that's gonna be awful and then they get really uncomfortable but when I was thinking about questions to ask you the part that kept coming up for me was I think about the age that you were and like because we were friends I think about like just where I was at in life as well like, I feel like the the early to mid-20s is, like, the most destructive part of people's lives. Yeah. I think about that time, and I think about just how, like, reckless I was with my body, like, like how much I did not take care of myself. And I feel like if I added a parental death onto that, I would have just fucking lost it. <laughs> and so how did you maintain any semblance of gracefulness through this that's definitely a different perception than i had of myself <laughs> because i saw myself just totally unraveling i had so much anxiety i couldn't drive i quit my job i watched the x-files and drank gin during the day and i played neopets <laughs> like what i played no i'm not even kidding i went through like a regression stage that's how I coped, is I regressed into a young child playing Neopets in my apartment. And is, then I. Is that like Gigapets? I don't know what Gigapets is, but Neopets is um, the first website that I ever visited when I was 12. It is an online um, 
like you have your little pets and you can like open up a shop and you can buy stuff and there's a whole like currency and stock market and for some reason like that was like a weird escape that I went to I also started reading like voraciously like young adult fantasy novels again I completely regressed into a childlike state that's kind of how I coped with it and then my therapist said you have to do something she's like I don't care what it is like you don't have a job you can't like watch the x-files and drink gin all day she's like sign up for a class I don't care what it is so I signed up for a writing class and then I started writing young adult fantasies and then I discovered like how much I'm suited for that because I guess I am a 13 year old inside of my (laughs) brain still Um, so then I started working on Neopets yeah Neopets if you're listening I love your website it helped me through a lot of grief it's just missing storylines yeah really it's like why am I involved in the stock market yeah it really did teach me about finances it's not like I have very good finances, but I'm sure I'm sure it was, I'm better for it. I'm better for it now. You can remember, what was the most practical thing that you had a hard time doing after she passed away? It was driving, which felt so weird, because I live in Los Angeles and you kind of have to drive to do anything and it kind of handicapped probably a lot of things that would have really helped me like seeing humans Etc. But yeah, I, I I had just like this free-floating anxiety that I thought now that like this worst thing has happened, then it's like I've started looking at every person and everything around me as like a ticking time bomb, and I couldn't handle it. And then being on a freeway was like the worst possible thing because it was just full of time bombs. And then I started like I would drive to therapy, and then that was it. And then I drove to my writing class, and then that was it. And then I slowly started like becoming a real person. But it took a while. You had to travel kind of like back and forth between your mom's house and your house, right? Um, no, because my mom was renting a house, so I had to go up there for all the like <sighs> the death administration, right. you know? Because my mom was unmarried. I'm an only child. She had, you know, this life that I had to kind of stitch up. So I had to go up there, you know, and close out her bank accounts and walk in there and be like, oh, she's dead. Here's her death certificate. Did the people at the bank just kind of react like, yeah, we see this all the time? You know what? I think I was so, like, closed off from it. It was either I only had, like, two emotions. I was either, like, in shock or, like, weeping. But it was mostly just, like, I was stunned. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, when is this over? Because I've experienced this. This is awful when's normal coming back but I had to clean out her apartment and like get all of her furniture out and then I had to make these like decisions like my aunt came with me and it was just the two of us in this like empty apartment and it was like do we keep these plates and then I'm like my mom ate scrambled eggs on those plates and then you start weeping and my aunt's like it's okay just get through it we'll be okay just make decisions and then I just kept a bunch of stuff in her like storage unit my aunt's storage unit and I couldn't go through it for like years even with your own life, did you feel like you had to kind of like compartmentalize what was going on with your job? I mean, you had to be like, I can't come in. Yeah. Oh, no. I like quit for like four months. Like I because like, I couldn't I couldn't handle like 
waiting on people. Yeah, it was like, it's like you're upset about your sandwich. I'm like, my mom just died. You have a bacon cheeseburger and it's delicious. And your mom's probably fucking alive. And then like mothers and their daughters would come in and I would have this weird jealousy that I'm like, makes me feel like awful on like, I'm a horrible person and awful on like this weird reminder like if you didn't quit your job i wonder how long it would have been until your boss was like no oh my god totally we're always here for you um can you pick up next tuesday no it that's actually kind of how it happened well okay so i had my my general manager was this lovely man and he had lost both of his parents to cancer within a year of each other so he was like my like grief buddy and he was like very 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 sweet and then he was like hey do you think you might might be good for you and i was like yeah cool and then my other manager scheduled me for like five shifts one week and then i'm just, i just texted back i'm like no there's no like no like that no no, no. but to answer your question finally i felt it was the op- opposite i kind of felt like i was walking around with a giant neon sign Like, I'm broken and damaged, my mother is dead, and everything is awful. And I felt like I wore that, like a fucking mink coat, like, all around with me. It was a mink coat made of grief um, and self-consciousness. No, I I don't feel like I compartmentalized at all. In fact, I felt like I was just walking around like everybody knew, which was not even true at all. My mom was a really secretive person. She had, like, a whole other life with her friends and she belonged to this like eastern meditation spirituality and she had all of her friends in her little church and this isn't like great and doesn't paint her in the best light um but i'm trying to tell it in a way that like honors her but also is true like she kept her family so separate that we felt very much on the outs and when i met a lot of the people a lot of her friends at her memorial, I started to get the impression that they knew a very different woman than we all did. And that was really hard. But I guess that's okay, you know? And it's a lot easier keeping the fact that you have cancer a secret from like your church friend from like your only kid. The way I kind of look at it is like when you have a lie, it like creates this like bubble or this like insulation around you. And I feel like her relationship was, like, had a big bubble around it. And I feel like with her her friends and those people, she it, it didn't weigh on her as much. And she was able to be a little bit more free and a little less guilty. But my mother, like, had a really huge network of people who really affected her. Her ex-boyfriend from when she was 22 I think he was like 20 years older than her so she he was like in his 80s like was like sobbing on the phone with me it was the funniest thing because like at my mom's memorial all these men who had loved my mother oh my god just came in droves it was like it was like a telenovela <laughs> all these men of different nationalities this Australian guy like came late and was weeping and I'm just sitting there like still in zombie mode like okay yep wow cool hello Bruce no I didn't know that you know you were also in love with my mother it was so weird like to to still be in love with somebody like after 40 something years is pretty is pretty potent 
you were with family, you were with people that loved her, and you had this like outpouring of love, then you had to leave that and then you had to go back home and kind of like sit by yourself. Yeah. And also, you know, everybody and this is again, I'm not saying this is a this is like a part of life. Everybody is so there for you and so texting all the time and coming over with like baskets with foot scrub and like you know all these people coming and then like at a certain point you can't like babysit somebody's like dead mother problems forever and yeah there's definitely that moment where it's like everybody's here everybody's supporting da, 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 and then you're like oh i'm alone yeah was it hardest to be alone i think all of it was hard in different ways you know what I mean? Like at that at, at that moment, in those like in 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 the dark X Files days, you, you know, I think you said it before. Like there's no there's no book, there's no pill, there's no anything that like fixes it. So like being around people is a great anecdote to loneliness. But when you're around people, it's like awful and torturous. And then you're like, I want to be alone. You're alone. It's like awful and torturous in a different way. I was in a relationship when I lost my mom, but that was hard. I mean, yeah. we'd really just started boyfriend girlfriend dating, and I went from being this like fun, cool, like sassy writer girl who was a little bit bitter, but like still fun, and went out to like I'm drinking gin and watching X Files again. You can do what you want, robot. That must have been really hard. I've never been on the other end of that. He and I parted ways, which was for the best and I felt like after that happened I really started grieving in the right way because I felt like I was very like I had this concern that like because I was wearing my grief mink that like I was so broken and damaged that like nobody's gonna want me and I felt like after that relationship ended then I was like oh well fuck how is anybody ever gonna want to get near this and all the all the like stuff that comes with it you know and even in, in my relationship now, you know, sitting there, so what do your parents do? Well, one of them's a wonderful man who's a very successful businessman, and one of them is dead. My mom is um, a harpist, <laughs> but she's up state. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And um, yeah, I date, oh, this is a fun story. I dated somebody I really, really liked, kind of like shortly after, but like maybe like a few months out. And he knew a friend of mine and she had told him about my mom. And then she told me that she had told him. And then I went on several dates with him that he didn't mention it, but he kept kind of alluding to it. And then finally, the first time we had sex, afterwards, I like talked to him about it and I started crying and then I didn't hear from him for five days. And then he sent me this really long email about how hard it was for him to watch me go through that and, like, how he, like, freaked out. And I was like, fuck you! And, you know, that was fun. But I think I was wearing my, my grief mink and, like, it could have been anything. But that for me was like, oh, well, then I'm broken. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like the dude you were dating when it happened you you like couldn't really take care of yourself because you were trying to take care of the image of yourself that you wanted him to see. Yeah, like I'm still fun. Yeah, yeah I did a lot of like late night, like get up in the middle of the night and like go to the bathroom and cry, which I think 
probably right there showed me you're not in the right relationship. Yeah. I feel like the right person you just cry openly in front of, and that's, like, very normal and okay. And also, just in general, I think someone that lets you feel and doesn't make you feel like you're a burden, I think, is the major thing. For sure. And I think if you think you're a burden, you're just going to start finding people who think that or who make you think that even if that's not true fulfill some prophecies fulfill some prophecies i i was the prophet fulfilling all those prophecies (laughs) that's what's so interesting about emotions is that it could be like really innocuous like for example one of the first things i cried about after my mom died was that she'll never get to see the finale of game of thrones but that was like that hurt that hurt a lot and then it just was a symbol for like all of it what do you feel like helped most to normalize your life please tell me it was watching vh one short-lived series <laughs> scream queens can i say that that is one of them um so for those who don't know Brittany, being the wonderful wonderful friend she is um since i didn't really go out she came over and brought with her wonderful things for vh one's scream queens not the scream Fox queens show, that you no. probably know um, it was a reality show about girls auditioning to be in Saw horror movies seven. in Saw 7. <laughs> and it was amazing. But you were totally right. The first season's great. The second season, they got a budget and it ruined it. It did. The first season, I remember there was that woman who the reason she was such an incredible actress is because she had gone through yes. trauma. Yes, she was so good. I think she won. She no spoilers. Win. It was on like seven years yeah. ago. Maybe I should be in a Saw movie because I've also experienced trauma. <laughs> Saw, if you're listening, if my Neopets gig doesn't come through. <laughs> As, like, the the regression session happened, I found myself watching all these, like, either old movies or, like, 90s comedies or, like, things that I would watch with her. Um, my mom was really into, like, Hitchcock things and, like, film noir and that kind of stuff is, like, I feel like there's really good things about like remembering your mother who's dead you're like oh this is this is a nice wonderful thing i can do to like connect to something that's not there anymore and then there's things that are really hard like that kind of stuff definitely watching british made for tv miniseries based on old books like sense and sensibility or like basically any colin firth movie from the 80s and i inherited all of her old dvds of that and that really is the most thing that like because that's something that she and i would do that would always kind of connect us to each other when we were fighting or i'd go up there and it'd be like awkward or we get into a thing and um it'd be like great let's you know and then you'd say i fancy you much exactly <laughs> and uh you know, Colin Firth was really the common denominator. Something that makes me sad, though, is John Hamm. My mother loved John Hamm with, like, a burning passion. And for quite a while, every phone conversation I'd had with her, she would give me some kind of John Hamm anecdote about his time being a struggling actor in L.A. And, like, use it to my life. I'm like, Mom, I don't know what to do because, like, finances. and the- John Hamm got his car towed three times. <laughs> You know, he was 39 before he got Mad Men, and you're way younger than that. And you know, John Hamm used to live in Silver Lake. Oh, God, Mom. Okay. One of the things I remember after your mom passed away was handwriting a quote by Cheryl Strait. Oh, my God. It was so great. 
um, and giving it to you as we sat at birds. And I think this is the correct quote, but would you care to read it? Okay, I might cry, but yeah. Oh my God. And this is before like I had read, I read Wild, I think on your advice during that time. And I will say that there was like, they had all, everybody gave me like a different grief book. It was like seven meditations on bereftment or like some, you know, like all that kind of like stuff. And Besides my YA fantasy novels, which is ancillary to this, Wild was the only book where I felt like someone else understood me on a page. And it made me feel like, oh. And I, I had like an aspirational moment of like, this is where I am now. But like, Cheryl Strayed did all this. You know? And I... There's like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. I did not go on a backpacking hike through the Pacific Crest Trail. I went to my couch and watched the X Files, which was my wild. Yeah. I'm never gonna write a beautiful, beautiful work of nonfiction about that. I think you might. Maybe. One day. But I'll read this quote that yes, Brittany Ashley handed to me. She made me get out of my house. I remember very wearing very big sunglasses and we went to birds on Franklin. And we had some alcohols, and uh, yeah, she handwritten me this beautiful um, Dear Sugar thing. Is this the correct one? Yes. Oh my gosh, it absolutely was. Um, and I was telling Brittany earlier that I recently refound the handwritten letter, and I read it on my empty mattress in my empty apartment. I was moving out of the apartment that my mom died when I, or my mom, I was living in when my mom died. I had a lot of weird memories to it. I had an entire closet of her things that I never went into. It's like, it was really sad. It was just a pile of stuff and of a door that never opened. It was very grim that I finally had to let go. So before Anna Marie reads the quote, I just wanted to jump right into the pop culture segment, which is about the author Cheryl Strayed. When I was in college, I found this incredible advice column called Dear Sugar, and it was on the rumpus and it was this anonymous advice column that had the most difficult sounding situations that then this anonymous advice giver would give the most beautiful profound yet tangible answers to these questions and when I found out who it was I found out that it was Cheryl Strayed and I went out and bought everything that she had ever written um, and at this time, it was Tiny Beautiful Things and her memoir, Wild. And Wild is what she is most known for. It is a memoir that later got turned into a film starring Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern. But it is about Cheryl Strayed's experience losing her mother. Cheryl lost her mom when she was 22 years old, and she completely self-destructed. She started using heroin, she cheated on her husband with strangers, and she lost all ambition to write. And then at 26, Cheryl decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail alone with absolutely no hiking experience. And Wild recounts her time on this hike as she challenged herself to seek some resolution and be at peace. If your nerve deny you, go above your nerve. Emily Dickinson. And Cheryl Strait. Oh my God. What have I done? I'm 
sorry you have to walk a thousand miles just to... Finish that sentence. Why do I have to walk a thousand miles? Happy trails. I didn't get to grow up and pull away from her and bitch about her with my friends and confront her about things I'd wish she'd done differently and then get older and understand that she'd done the best she could and realize that what she had done was pretty damn good and take her fully back into my arms again. Her death had obliterated that. It had obliterated me. It had cut me short at the very height of my youthful arrogance. It had forced me to instantly grow up and forgive her for every motherly fault at the same time it kept me forever a child. My life both ended and began in that premature place where we left off. She was my mother, but I was motherless. I was trapped by her, but utterly alone. She would always be the empty bowl that no one could fill. I'd have to fill myself again and again and again. Thank you, Cheryl Street. God, thank you, Cheryl Street. Patron saint of all of us. Though Anna Marie jokes that she's never hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, I believe that she had her own experience of that. By enduring, she saw just how strong of a woman that she is, and ultimately she became the writer that she always knew that she could be. I had like this renewed sense of like feeling like there was a reason I was alive. My mother was a really, really talented writer. Like her journal entries would put any bestseller to shame. My mother was not a very sentimental woman. She didn't hang on to any of that stuff. A lot of stuff I would have wanted to keep. She doesn't have, but I feel like it's like all in me. And my mom always had like success in like getting writing jobs and she was a newspaper reporter and but she had all these stories inside of her and she was always really afraid to just commit and like do it. And like I'm writing a novel. Like she wanted to write a historical fiction novel about people who immigrated to New Zealand in the 1800s. And she'd talk about it for like 10 years. And I think she would start it at times when she was inspired and never did it. And I feel like I kind of adopted like back in the before times, like that was my writing style too. And I learned the good and the bad of that from her. And afterwards I'm like, I haven't like the stuff I do in my life and the stories that I want to tell, it's also for her. Like I want to do that not just for me. She created me. She can help me create this. And I think that's the biggest thing. What I've realized the most is like if there's any uh, proof that like time is a circle bending backwards on itself and it's all really a construct in a very like physics way, it's like I feel like sometimes it feels like my mom died like 25 years ago and then sometimes I'm just walking down the street and something happens and it's like it just happened and somebody like stabbed me and that's why they say like grief comes in waves it's really really true because I think what grief is is it's not like you have your mourning period and you wear your veil and you know you can't dance for six months you're yeah I really I really did miss how much you danced yeah I did I did really want to have a Victorian morning bell because I felt like that would really help people understand what I was going for. Um, but I really think that grief is a lifelong process. Oh, yeah. And I think that each phase of your life is going to – when something really bad happens to you, it's like my mom's not here. When something really good it happens, happens – My mom's not here. My mom's not here. Death is – death fucks you up. You know? 
it's really scary. And it puts, for me, it's less like what you said, but you lost your mom way earlier than I did. You didn't get to have years and years and years of that. And I think for you, it's like, she got taken away from you so early that there's all the memories you had, but there's all the, the loss of the stuff. I have a little less of the, I have like, oh, when I get married and oh, when I'm a New York Times bestselling author and all that kind of stuff. But you have like, oh, when I got my period or when I went to, did you go to prom? Yeah. When I went to prom and like when, when I, I got an When I went test. to prom and got my period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Da, 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 da. No, but for me, it's like, I can tell that I really care about somebody when I'm constantly afraid they're going to die. Like, constantly. I think if it's happened to you, it's like, you realize how fucking easy it is. If you were giving advice to someone who hadn't lost a parent of how they comfort someone who had lost, who had just lost a parent, is there anything you can think of that, like, you would have wanted more of? That's um, a very loaded question. No, I know. no, no. I think it's actually a really excellent question. Um... I think there's a couple things. I mean, for me, like, whenever I, like, watch TV, I'd get, it wouldn't help. I'd think it would help. But, like, reading books, for some reason, there was something about that 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 felt like not only was I, like, distracting myself, but I was healing a part of myself. But that may be just personal. Um, being around kids or, like, helping people. That's going to sound like such bullshit, like Mother Teresa. Like, do good for others. Just like cleaning up trash on the side of the highway. Get yourself a vest. Something where you feel like your your purpose is meaningful. And I think positively trying to help other people makes you feel like you have a purpose. Like, for me, this isn't being mother Teresa, but just like hanging out with my little cousin and playing video games and like talking to him about minecraft was like cool i feel like i'm doing something and this kid's gonna be an adult one day and like i don't know like that made me feel really really purposeful but also at the same time i think cheryl Strait actually said this um it's never gonna be okay and that's such a really morbid statement, but at the same time, it's comforting. It, it is because it takes the pressure off of I'm grieving. It, it's it gonna weird? end. Is it weird I'm doing this? Yeah, or? no, it's never gonna be okay that your mother fucking died. I don't care how old you are. When you're 70 and your mother dies, it's traumatic because you had 70 years with this person, and all of a sudden you're not with them. When you're your age, you know, when your mother died, for the opposite reason, it's never gonna be okay. But it doesn't mean that there's not still good waiting for you somewhere. I have one story about my mother that I think will maybe balance the scales a little bit more from all of the maybe like not so flattering stuff. She sounds incredible. I mean, she was a really incredible woman. But I have, okay, I have, I have a story. So when I was 17, I was still living in my hometown. My mom and I got in like a really, really bad fight like really really heinous and um my best friend's mom was my mom's best friend so I drove my Volvo and I picked up my best friend and my mom walked over and went to her best friend's same house I was talking to my friend in the parking lot or the driveway and my mom's like I'm gonna smoke marijuana 
and I'd never seen my mom do any kind of drug or think, you know, she's like, like had a glass of red wine kind of thing. And I was like, fine, whatever, we're going to down to the beach and smoke cigarettes and get Cheetos from the gas station, which is my act of rebellion. We came back maybe like an hour later and I pulled my car up to drop my friend off and my mom comes rushing out of the house. Again, this is like a giant, basically just like a giant forest with a bunch of cottages and stuff. My mom runs out from the house barefoot in a fur coat smoking a cigarette. She also didn't smoke. Grief me. She was <laughs> oh, we tied it all together. In her, in her just not grief, in her, in her joy mink. Um, runs out, comes up to the, the window of the car. She looks at me and she takes a long drag of her cigarette. She goes, Anna Marie, I just want to, I just want to do what I want. And she runs into the forest and nobody sees her for two hours. And my mom just wanted to do what she wanted. Even if that was running barefoot through a forest where mountain lions probably were, smoking a cigarette, being high. I realized the best thing that I can do for like my own sanity is live my life for me and live it the way that I want to. So if I was in ever in her situation, I would choose differently. I, 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 want to take all the wonderful, wonderful things my mom taught me, and I want to leave the stuff that maybe wasn't what I would do, and leave that to what she did, and learn from it, and, you know, make different choices. You can find Anna Marie Davidson at writer Anna Marie on Twitter and Instagram. She's currently the stories editor and a writer for Bright Light Magazine, and also wrote and directed the play Seven Decembers. There are so many extra bits that I will be putting on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash deadmomcast. And you can find me at Brit27Ash or BrittanyAshleyFunny.com. The music is by Interstellar Sarah Michelle Geller. You can find their band camp in the description. And the logo was designed by Christine Tuna. The next episode will be released July 15th.